0: If you have a moment, those pew Bibles in the back of the pews, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 2, and if you want to open up to those, you can, just to have it ready to set go. Um, We have obviously a lot going on today, so I'm going to try to do this efficiently for everybody here, but uh, we are in a new uh, sermon series called Come and See, Then Go and Tell the Good News of Jesus Christ, and what it means to actually just witness the truth of who Jesus is and how that propels us forward uh, with a story to tell other folks. Before we jump into that and before we really dive into the word of the Lord, I ask that we go before him one more time and to ask that he would bless this time together and to speak through me and so that all that you hear is him. Lord Jesus, I thank you for gathering us together in your house, in this place of worship. I pray that as we open up your, your, your word, that um, your Holy Spirit that continues to move in this place would would illuminate the truth that is within this text that you would speak through me and that it would not be of me but of you and that only the only thing that people hear is is your voice and your truth and that we all would gather at your feet be renewed and refreshed and restored and for those who may not know you that they would possibly come to know you for the first time today and that we would give thanks for that and praise you for that Know that by the power of your word revealed, that this could be so. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So real quick, and I asked this at the first service, the traditional service, and and forgive me if the question is a little off-putting, but I kind of want to know. How many of you, raise your hand, if you were, if you can still remember watching on the news all the space race stuff? Getting to the moon, everything like that. Raise your hand, that's fine. Yeah, the rest of us in here, we do not have the privilege of witnessing, witnessing that uh, in real time. We had to learn it through school and through books and through pictures and, and things like that. But nevertheless, it's a pretty big accomplishment of, of, of humanity, really, isn't it? I mean, how great is it that God, through his, his blessing and through his provision, would allow humanity to be that smart uh, to be able to put those things together and leave the planet like and, and go to the moon and, and see the stars and look down from the moon on the world and, and just be captivated by creation and the beauty and the majesty of it all. Well, C.S. Lewis wrote uh, some reflections on, on, on Christian theology. And there's a chapter in there where he talks about the space race, and and he talks about when the Russians got there, and apparently someone in Russia, I don't know if it was an astronaut or someone from their space agency, somebody, said that we got to space, and guess what? We didn't see God. And so basically, it was like, you know, rest assured, everybody, we left the planet, we went to the heavens, and heaven wasn't there. God wasn't there. It's all a hoax. Go about your business. Hunky-dory, this is great. Thank you so much. And so C.S. Lewis looks at that, and of course, being a Christian thinker, he's annoyed. He does not enjoy what this Russian uh, cosmonaut has stated about it, and begins to poke holes at his theory, in that you're obviously looking with wrong eyes. You're coming at this from a different vantage point. It would be like if all of us went to London right now, and we went to Stratford-upon-Avon, and went to a theater and listened to a Shakespearean play, Macbeth or Hamlet, whatever your fancy is, Hamlet's the best one, just in case you didn't know. So we go to Hamlet and we see that, former English teacher, I love Hamlet. And we expect to see William Shakespeare himself as one of the actors. We're going to see a Shakespearean play. Obviously Bill needs to be in there being one of the, the folks on stage because this is, what, this is what a Shakespearean play is. If I go to space, the heavens, and I don't see God in heaven, then obviously it's not real. So C.S. Lewis is like going to a play, Shakespearean play, expecting to see Sh- Shakespeare himself acting. That's a wrong way of looking at it. It's a wrong way of seeing. It's a wrong vantage point. What C.S. Lewis says instead is like, no, it would be going to the play and realizing that every actor is Bill Shakespeare, that every technician, every, every sound person, everything that goes into this performance in this play all has Bill Shakespeare in it because he's the author of it. Don't go expecting to see Bill. Go expecting to see how he is the author of this whole entire thing. And so when you go to space and the astronauts go to space, don't be so shocked that you're not seeing heaven up there because that's not how God works. God does not, doesn't reveal that stuff to us so that we can go to heaven's door anytime we want, knock and say, hey, just visiting, just looking and seeing, making sure you're still here. I know where you're at and we're all good. It doesn't work that way. Faith doesn't work that way. If it worked that way, God's call really wouldn't mean anything because we could always just go there and go see it. We go to heaven when God calls us to go to heaven. We see God when God calls us to see it. Whether we're seeing him or whether we're going, it's all by God's hand. He is the author. So this worship series, Come and See, I want us all to realize we are coming to see the author of life, the creator of life. We are coming to see Jesus himself witnessing everything that he taught, witnessing all the things that he challenged us with, and then coming to see there is a, a hope, a desire, a, a promise that we will have a story to go and tell. We want this series, it's going to be all through, all through the summer, we're going to go through the Gospel of Matthew not so much chapter by chapter, a little bit of a survey, but go and we're going to follow Jesus. Going to follow him along and, and come to his feet and see what he's teaching, see what he's saying, and, and leave hopefully renewed and transformed with a story to tell. Because if we just go at like the Russian cosmonaut, if we go up to space and be like expecting to I went, I sought you out and you weren't there, And then to say that there is no God would mean that we are in the control seat here. It would mean that when I go and I find you, great, I know where you're at. But this is not how God works. In our coming to see him, what we find out, it's not so much that we find him, it's that he finds us. And that would be, for me, my underlying hope through this whole series is that you realize in our approach to coming to see Jesus and wanting to learn and wanting to discover and wanting to find everything out that we can find out, that we realize that it was him that was calling us to him. And even though we may have, quote, unquote, found him, he truly has found us. I once was lost, but now I am found. I think that's the posture of coming to see And when we realize that, when we reorient our lives to that, it does give us this this propulsion to go and tell folks about what it is that the Lord did within us. For me and my story, when I became a a Christian, when Christ became more than a name, that's what we say here at the church. For me, it was in third grade. You may have heard the story before. Little me, third grade, at a vacation Bible school. Cool youth guy up front. He's like, hey, does anyone know Jesus? And I was like, yeah, that's great. And so they all took us to go to the side, and and they prayed the prayer for us, and I prayed that prayer. And I would say that I knew Jesus after that. That Jesus was in my life the entire time, even before that, really. Now, looking back, all my friends were Christians. God's hand was on it it didn't become real. I don't know if I truly saw until a junior in college when I went to a Promise Keepers convention with my, my father. Promise Keepers convention is a, or a retreat or whatever you want to call it, is a men's retreat. They're usually huge national gatherings. I don't know if they're still doing them anymore, but I went with my dad. My dad said, I want you to come with me to this. I was a junior in college doing junior in college things and, and wanted me to come and, and discover that with him. I said, okay. So said, I'll go. I wanted to go because this is a chance to do something with Dad. And I pulled my mom aside because I always you know, talk to my mom first about things. It's just the way it works. You know. Just, you know. I said to my mom, I said, okay. And know Dad wants me to go. I'll go. But I tell you what, Mom. If they do any weird Christian things there, I'm out. If people are going to stand up and start speaking in tongues, I'm gone. If someone comes up and actually wants to talk to me or can I pray with you, no, get away from me. I'm out of here. That's just kind of what I said. I'm like, I don't want any freaky deaky Christian stuff happening to me there. I just want to go and listen and see what this is all about. She goes, Mike, it's fine. None of that's going to happen. Okay. So I go to Promise Keepers with my dad. And I sit in that amphitheater, and and I'm skeptical on the whole thing, and come in to see what this is all about. And I left, having been found. As I sat there and listened to the stories of people and testimonies, and more importantly, the worship singing, "Jesus paid it all. Sin has left a crimson stain. He's washed me white as snow. And before the throne of God above, my name is." written on your hands, that line says. I realize that this is not necessarily me hunting Jesus down. This is Jesus finding me, seeing me, warts and all, everything that I did, everything that I thought, all the sins, all the things that count me out of that company. He sees it anyway and says, you know what? It's it's clean. It's washed clean. And your name, your name, I have it written in my hands. My nail scarred hands, I have it written on my heart. I have got you. In my coming to see Jesus and trying to find him, I'm the one who left having been seen. And having been seen and beholding the glory that is Christ, it changed my mobility. It changed my movements. I was no longer necessarily doing all that college stuff. Started going to church on a regular basis. Started being involved in the church and the life of the church. Meeting Carrie, hello, uh, going into youth ministry after that and seminary. Everything just kind of snapped together after having been seen by the Lord. So today, folks, we're going to go see Jesus. But I would say to you, understand that, and you're going to see, you're going to be seen. You will be found. You will be found by the Lord, and it will change. It'll change your trajectory, it'll change that mobility, that movement, your as you are going lives. Let's jump in. Gospel of Matthew. We're starting there first. We're in Matthew chapter 2, not Matthew chapter 1, because it's a whole bunch of genealogy, and I can't fit 30 minutes into that, but I could sure try. We're in Matthew chapter 2. What is Matthew chapter 2? Anyone know? Take guess. Bible trivia. Yes, the Magi. We're going to have Christmas today, everybody. Yes, it is the third greatest day of the year. The first greatest day is Easter. The second greatest day is Mother's Day, of course. And then the third greatest is Christmas. Let's go to Christmas, everybody, in the little town of Bethlehem. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And the great thing about the gospel here, uh, the gospel writer Matthew, in chapter 2, he gives us some case studies. We're going to see how two different folks... The Magi and Herod, how they posture themselves in hearing the invitation, God's call across the cosmos that something's going to happen. We see how they approach and we see how they go. And in the end of this, we're going to get a good sending. And the good sending for us all is this piece of information I want you to remember. It is this. Let all the truly seeing world rejoice. Say that. Let all the truly seeing world rejoice. That is going to be the end game. We'll get to it in just a minute. Let's look at Matthew chapter 2. So this is what it says. here now the word of the Lord. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea and the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Right off the bat in these first two verses, lots of stuff is happening. We are getting the name of Herod the king so we can kind of anticipate there's going to be some sort of struggle because we have Herod the king and the wise men saying we've come to see the king. So you can imagine if you are Herod the king and people from some off, far off country is like, we're here to see the king and you aren't the king. You can imagine how that may ruffle some feathers. And that's exactly what happens. We also see that these are wise men from the east. That means they are not from Jerusalem, which means they are not Jewish. They are outsiders. They are Gentiles. And to the Jewish people, ick. They're also from the east, a far off land, which means they had to travel as a long, long time to come and try to seek out and find out what's going on. Long time. Jerusalem, where Jerusalem is at, east, far east, they had to come that long journey. And we don't know if it was three of them. Because there's three gifts, and so we think we three kings, I mean, that's what we relegate the Magi down to, just that one song that we sing after Christmas, we three kings, right? That's all I ever know about them. There could be, it could have been more, it could have been a whole host of folks that are coming to see this king. For when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes, all the muck, in the muck people, he inquired of them, Herod, listen to how Herod, Herod asked the question where the Christ was to be born. That's interesting. Herod, who is supposedly Jewish, so supposedly we would know all this stuff, he asked, Where is the Christ? He uses the terminology of the Messiah. Where is the anointed one? That's interesting. And they told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet, and you of Bethlehem in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who shall shepherd my people Israel. Oh, happy day. This could be the day. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to for for the child, and it says, When you have found him, bring me word, so that I too may come and, wink, wink, worship him. Like we know on this side of of this story, we know that that is obviously, he's lying here. He's he's fibbing. He does not want to worship. He's got other things going on. After listening to the king, the magi went on their way, and behold the star that they had seen when it rose before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. Verse 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary and his mother and they fell down and they worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So here's that story. And some things are happening in here. So you already know, you already got the players, you already got the two case studies. You got outsiders coming from the east, they saw something in the heavens, and they know something is up. In fact, all the words that are in there that say to see, that the magi saw the star, they saw where the baby was laying, all those words are translated into seeing something and knowing something's up. Knowing that there is something significant that is happening. They may not quite know all of it, but they know something special is happening. That's really, really important because as you look at the Magi, the whole reason why would the Magi ever come from the east and travel this whole, whole journey into Bethlehem to see where the star is pointing? The Magi, where you get the word magician, are astrologists, they're scientists, they study the stars, they study ancient readings. I have no idea what their sense of God is. They probably have multiple gods. Who knows? But God sends out the very first baby birth announcement. You ever get one of those in the mail? It's so cute and wonderful. God did it first. Love to see a baby birth announcement that can put a star up in the sky. Good for God, right? So he puts a star up there, and it beckons them. It calls to them. It says something is happening. The Magi were also armed, this is interesting to know, with possibly the ancient writings of the Jewish faith, because where they were heralding from was where Babylon and things like that in the Babylonian captivity, they possibly had access to ancient writings from the prophets of, of Judaism. And were able to consult all those things and realize, hey, something's going on. And how we know that is because they ask what the prophecy is our foretelling. Where is the one who is king of the Jews? So something is happening for them that calls them. There is an invitation in the coming. There is an invitation. y'all come and see what's going on, and they pack up their stuff and they go. Now they get to Herod, and what is Herod's words associated with him? All the words associated with Magi are seeing, beholding, worshipping. Now Herod comes on, the other case study, and the magi ask him, "Where is the king?" Again, that would be, "Why are you? I'm the king." And the scriptures say, in the first few verses, Verse three: When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And that word, troubled, honestly in today's vernacular means he was shook. He was completely shaken to the core. What that word means is that he was something was stirred up that was supposed to stay still. Chaos in his soul. Totally shook that there is another king that has heralded people from another country who are looking for this child king. And not only that, he can't be bothered to get off of his blessed assurance to go, come on, that's funny, that's funny. (laughs) He doesn't leave. How is it that outsiders who are not Jewish, and I don't want to make this a Jewish thing, We also have to understand that the Bible gives us case studies of Magi and Herod and things like that. Not for us to be like, oh, we're with the Magi, (laughs) stupid Herod. But for us to see that Herod's sin is our sin. We can fall right in the same trap as him, ignore the Lord because we don't want the Lord in our lives. We want to be Lord of our own lives. And that's exactly what's going on with Herod. He can't be bothered. I'm not going to go to some child king. I'm the king. He can come to me. And what blows my mind is he calls that king the Christ. So that means somewhere in his mind, he knows there's a possibility that this is God's anointed one and he don't care. No, no, you go and search him out. I want to find him. You see the perspective change. Stars up in the sky the magi come, they are being heralded to come to him. Herod hears that, he's like, you go search him out. Tell me where to find him. I'm going to go talk to this guy. And so this is, and the, the story moves on, right? So are you see, there's two case studies in how we approach the invitation to come and see. And so now the Magi leave, and they're probably thinking, this is weird, Herod the weird guy. And so they go on their way, and luckily the star reappears again. Great, we're back on track. We know where we're going. They read to us the scriptures. Off to Bethlehem we go. They go, and they see the Lord, and what's the first thing that happens? They fall down and worship him. And that fall down and worship him is not knees fall down. That is prostrate, which is reserved for only the highest of of, of folks. They fall down and they worship him. Outsiders who probably have multi-gods that they are looking at, who may not even think about God because they have all of their books and their stars or whatever. They see and encounter the Lord and they worship. And coming to see Jesus, they were seen. And coming to see Jesus, they were found. And they fall and worship. And they give Jesus gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And I don't have time to go into it, but those gifts are significant. Gold is for the kingship of Jesus. Frankincense for the priestlyhood of Jesus. Frankincense meaning incense, burning sacrifices. And myrrh is the embalming thing for for, for dead folks. And that's for him as the prophet. That every prophet died at the hands of their own people foretells Jesus' death. Those gifts align, tell the entire story for Jesus. And then what happens to them? After being warned in a dream, where do they go? What does it say there at the end? Verse 12. They went another way. They went another way. See in this something very profound. You see, Herod stays the course in his sinful war path. After being told that there was a star, after hearing the scriptures being read, after rightly saying it's the Christ, he had every chance in in heaven. I would say that the Magi came to Herod because God is saying to Herod, you got one more chance, bud, come on. But Herod doesn't. And he stays the course in his wickedness. And instead of just being like, okay, well, we'll see what happens. No, he does something even more dastardly. He kills all of the two-year-old folks and younger to try to wipe out any chance of this Messiah growing up to be the king. And little did he underestimate it because this baby king is already doing stuff. He's calling the world to him. Herod couldn't do that. That was the baby. That was Jesus. Jesus was God's call through this guy. And so having come and having seen and having been seen by Jesus and having been found, they leave and they go a different way because here's the thing. They came with great expectation to that invitation and they left with transformation. They left a different way. That's not just some throwaway verse in there that they decided to avoid Herod. That word, the way, is used several times by Matthew in his gospel for deep theological reasons. The way to the Father, all the things. They left a different way. They left with a different perspective. Their mobility changed. Transformation compels us to be mobile and compels us to be mobile in a different way. Isn't that amazing? I don't see this with the Magi. I tell you what, every time I look at Matthew chapter 2 and I see the Magi, my mind automatically goes to we three kings, and that just runs in my mind until I leave chapter 2. But there's something very, very significant here. Remember what I said at the beginning of the message. Our takeaway, our, our call to come and go was that today we would find out, let all the truly seen people in the world rejoice. Where is our source of rejoicing? What do we get out of this interaction that we can go and tell people as transformed folks who know the Lord, who have been seen by him, been found by him, and are sent out with a message? What is it? Have you ever looked at the nativity? Take a look. Emmy, you were doing fantastic back there. I have jumped around on this PowerPoint several times. She's back there thinking, I have no idea what slide he's on, but here we go. <laughs> so, <coughs> Look at that picture. It's really difficult to try to find a, a nativity picture that's, that's good. So that was my best attempt. Have you ever looked at the nativity and really looked at it? And who's present? We've got Jesus, obviously, and they're all looking at him. Ah, uh, that's supposed to happen, that there's meaning to that, right? He's calling everyone there. You got Mary, you got Joseph, you got the shepherds, you got angels, you got animals, you got the star, you got the magi. Let all the truly people seeing in the world rejoice. Herod didn't truly see because he didn't want to see. He was lost in his wickedness. And those of us who are lost in our wickedness, we won't truly see. We will only see in front of our nose and we will only see our here and now and we likes our power and we want to keeps our power. But those who truly saw coming from the east, coming from all over, came here to gather around this child. The child, the Christ, the King of Kings. And it is good news of great joy for the entire world. How do I know? Because we've got Mary, who represents all women. we got Joseph, who represents all men. You've got Mary and Joseph, who represents the Jewish faith. You've got the shepherds, the outcasts, the downtrodden, the dejected, the people who aren't good enough, and they get to come here and witness and see who Jesus is. You've got the Magi, the Gentiles, Ick, who came from the East, and they get to see who Jesus is. You've got all the animals, all creation is groaning. For the right world to be in place, says Paul. All of the creation, all the animals are there. All the heavens announce the glory of the Lord. There's the angels. And God of the cosmos placing that star. Even the heavens above declare your glory. Let all the truly seeing people in the world rejoice. You come and you see and you are found. And you go with the story that Jesus, the true king of kings, brings us all together. No matter what Your sins and your story is you have a place if he has called you by name. Do not miss that the Gospel of Matthew begins with all the nations surrounding this baby and ends in Matthew 28 with a call for all of us to take this story to who? All the nations. So when you go home, if your nativities are stuck in your homes and boxes someplace that are labeled Christmas, I'd encourage you to take them out. Have you ever heard me give a message on this before? This is why our nativity is out. I gave a message once, and I said, Carrie, our nativity has to be out every day all year long. And so she listened because I told her to do this. No, she, she felt it too. But when you go home, look at that nativity and see in it a higher call. See in it a missional call that the power of the Lord who can orchestrate all of these things can bring everyone to the table, can bring us all there to truly see and be found by him and to leave with the good news that life has come into the world and the world has been completely changed and you too can be found. Let all the truly seeing world rejoice. Heavenly Father, as we look at the nativity and are reminded that you bring us all together, we now turn our sights to the Lord's table, your table, that it can too, and it's the reason why we do this, it brings us all together at your feet, at your table, to be reminded of the price you paid and to be convicted of the truth that by your blood we are healed And we are called by name into your family. And so, Lord, as we approach and as we take the elements today, allow this to transform in us. Allow this to convict our hearts of your glory, of your goodness. And when we go home, may we be bold and bring out our nativities and and put it on a display. Not being fearful of people looking at us like, why are your Christmas decorations still up? But to look at it as a missional call to share your good news. It's in Jesus name we pray. Amen.